0: live from the ESPN 690 and Ajar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jax on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lay. I don't think we need Urban Myers here in Jacksonville. When he was with Florida, he quit. When he was with Ohio State, he quit. So what's, what's going to make him not quit when he's with Jacksonville when he doesn't get his way? I love it. <laughs>
1: hey, Why I mean, I, I don't want to label anybody right now, but that guy had to be an SEC fan. That's all I'm going to say. Just going to put it like that. All due respect, he was an SEC fan.
0: You got to love when
1: they come in with the Urban Myers. Yeah. What was that? Another person that called in the show who's leaving a message? They're out in full force, man. You mentioned
0: Urban Meyer, and he's, he's quite the draw. Hey, would you rather have a coach that is polarizing or boring? I don't think we need Urban Myers.
1: That, I mean, that guy has swore at the television in front of his family before when when Florida didn't cover the spread. Simple as that. that and, and you know what? The, the, those are even odds right there. That, that's, I guarantee that's happened. Sorry. Sorry.
0: What, what no, Brent? Would you rather have a coach that is boring <laughs> yeah. in terms of, like, the appeal of the hire? So what I'm getting at is maybe it's like Jim Caldwell. And yeah. was, yeah, with all due respect to Jim, he's probably the greatest guy in the world, but kind of a boring hire, right? Mm-hmm. Or would you ha- rather have the p- polarizing hire that... Like all right, well, people are gonna say that about Urban Meyer. Some people aren't gonna like the idea of Urban Meyer. I've talked to many people that don't like the idea of Urban Meyer, and then I've talked to quite a few people like, bring it on, baby. So, yeah. what, do you, what do you? I mean, so you, does, you, does it matter to you? I guess if you're shod, that hey, this guy's gonna be a little salty with some. No, it. You know, it
1: doesn't matter to me if I'm shod, because at the end of the day, like, you have to win football games. That's the most important thing. And if you feel that like Urban Meyer can do that, then you go with that. Like, your reputation right now, and this is how sports work, in terms of a franchise owner of the Jaguars, is how many games you going to win. Okay? So, yes, there's, there could be some bad optics of, was Urban Meyer the right guy? You know, we saw what happened at Florida and Ohio, all that stuff. I get that. But if you're con, you're worried about winning over everything else. I think if I'm a player in the locker room, that answer could be different because now usually the way it works is regardless of who the coach is, you know, there's there's the, how the media portrays the coach and there's the press conference and then, you know, there's the players, So it's always kind of a separate thing. But. If it gets to the point where it's like Hollywood status and like the first day back um you know in training camp and we're all there asking questions it's like hey Urban Meyer talks about Urban Meyer like that can kind of wear thin um from a player's perspective after a while right like if it if it's if it keeps being the main storyline and not about the team but it's just about the head coach and the hiring of the head coach that can get played out
0: Yeah um I wonder like I, I think initially Here's what's interesting. I think I read something today. It's like, well, if he has like a uh, – I think it was Gene Fournette, He talked to somebody, and I think it was a tweet where it said something like, if he has the start that like Matt Rule has had. And what's Rule got, like four wins? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so he says that. It's like, well, that could be bad. And so what's interesting in that con- in that kind of dialogue is oh, – okay. no, I'm sorry,
1: Brett. Uh, Matt Rule had five wins this year. Five wins? Okay. Yep. But, uh, same, same, same thing. About the yeah, same. Yeah.
0: So – Basically I don't think there was much of an improvement from last year for Carolina. Is sure. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh and of course they had excuse, McCaffrey was out most of the year, they changed quarterbacks, but they did bring in listen, Teddy Bridgewater better than Cam Newton, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh so I think from that viewpoint it'd be very it's interesting. It's like polarizing, okay, I wanted him, I don't like him, he's gonna leave, I don't know what's gonna happen with Urban, you know. But when the games start going and the season gets here, it's like, how much do you have to win initially for Urban Meyer to deem it, okay, this is going in the right direction? Because this guy has won so much that if he was the guy, you almost think, okay, this guy's going to get 8, 9, 10 wins. Like, it's Urban Meyer. He automatically wins. Like, it's automatic. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the way the NFL works. The yeah. Jags are a one win team. Like, if the Jags go to six wins next year, that doesn't feel great being six and ten, but that is a vast improvement, mm-hmm. especially with a rookie quarterback that you're going to have. So that's what's interesting to watch. Like, where is the threshold of satisfying, I guess, to a fan base if really any coach is hired, but especially a guy that will be viewed as polarizing? Some people are in, some people are out on Urban Meyer.
1: Well, and it's an interesting standpoint too because with urban meyer you know he's a lot of things but one of those things is the fact that he hasn't really lost and if he has lost obviously you know we, we've seen the results of that like he, he he can't take losing and if you want to talk about distractions in a locker room and, and making about the coach not to say meyer would make it about himself if he was to lose games but like we in the media. You know, I mean, I'm sure one of the very first questions if this team's sitting, you know, four and, you know, eight or four and nine or four and ten is, hey, you know, you, you haven't lost as many games. Like, what's going through your head right now? Like, I mean, that's, that is going to be a storyline if this team doesn't succeed with Urban Meyer right away. And while he may have seen that coming, prepare for that, I think the fact that once again, that locker room is going to be in tune with that as well, that could be a different dynamic.
0: Alright, so I found something else, okay, as I research head coaches and you go through this and something stuck out to me the other day. And Urban Meyer's interesting, right? Because some people are, I don't like that guy, he's a bad guy, he's this guy. Okay, fair enough. I don't know. I don't know Urban Meyer well enough to know if he's a good guy or not. No idea. I feel like Doug Marone leaves this job as People appreciate him, say he's a good guy, have a beer with him, no problem. He was good to the media. He was all that stuff that everybody says. I mean, but do we really know who Doug Marone is? I don't know. I mean, I don't think we were ever peeled the curtain back on Doug Marone, quite frankly. Uh, Gus Bradley, again, once again, the Gus Bradley we know, salt of the earth kind of guy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jack Del Rio, I think, I think there were some people that probably didn't love Jack. Uh, but I think a lot of people do like Jack. I think Mike Malarkey, same thing. Nice guy, still lives in in Jacksonville area. I don't think anybody's going to say he's a jerk. Maybe they will. I mean, people have different experiences. But what I'm getting at here is I found this because I was thinking of, like, Jim Caldwell. And then people throw out the name, like, Tony Dungy. And it got me thinking. I'm like, go to the Indianapolis Colts for a minute. And the Colts have an owner that, how do you think people would classify Ursae? I mean, Brent,
1: what what do you want me to say about the guy, all right? You remember when he tweeted that whole video where he's standing behind the bench with, like, 315 uh, on it, and he doesn't lift it, he's just, like, trying to hype people up? Like, the guy's a strange cat, he's got a history, probably not the best guy to work for, I'll be honest with
0: you. Okay, so I would say, because he's also had, what, he had the DUI, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Uh, he had...
1: And it was the uh, prescription pills.
0: Yeah, and he comes across as... Let's just say I don't have a, uh, a super positive connotation about Urse. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, he seems very relatable to fans. I mean, you talk about a guy that doesn't feel like he's heavily involved in like transactions and and every move that's made. He lets his people do his thing, but he also relates to the fans and he's kind of hands on. He's giving away tickets on Twitter and he's talking to fans on Twitter and so there's like this interesting dynamic with Urse. Well, but overall, I would say if you had to characterize him one way or another, I'd say it's probably kind of like. He's probably not the greatest guy in the world, Like, I would say. I, I don't know him, but I'm just going to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this. He's super. a super paranoid guy because when there was Peyton Manning's team and they were playing, the, like the opposing media, they would have a security guard. Like when we were down on the field, they would have a security guard that was assigned to us. Like if I went to the bathroom, the security guard came with us. Better believe That's it. That's how paranoid they were in Indianapolis. Better believe it. Do your due diligence. Okay. Probably that crowd noise. But this is interesting, and I don't know if it even matters. The if you look at Tony Dungy, if you look at Jim Caldwell, if you look at Frank Reich now, who am I missing? Who's the defensive coordinator? Now with Chicago, had cancer.
1: Um, in Chicago, I can't.
0: No, oh, I, I um ah Chuck Pagano. Pagano, Oof. thank you. Yeah. thank you. Very good. good. Yeah. Oof. Uh, beat the deadline. It was I a know. rough one. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna give you those four guys, right? Dungy, Caldwell, Pagano, and now Reich. Okay. Isn't it wild that if you ask people, I think though, I think most people would be like, those are the four nicest people on the planet.
1: Yeah, very stand-up
0: individuals, I would say. Is there anything there? Is there anything to hiring that kind of guy to lead your organization? And even though (laughs) what's interesting is you don't get that feel from the owner necessarily, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So is that to kind of offset that owner, or is that just who he thinks needs to be a leader of their football team (sighs) and program? And by the way, I think some of the things that – like, I don't necessarily agree with Polian on that front. I think maybe that, like a Dungy, could offset the Urse Polian, and then you bring in this super genuine salt of the earth, a list guy yeah. in Dungy. But I think now, like their GM Ballard is supposed to be a really good guy, and I mean, we don't hear anything negative about him. And I think he's one of those. But but isn't it interesting that Indianapolis has kind of aligned their coaches over the last twenty something years? And if I had to characterize those guys, would be like those guys are. Damn good men. You know what?
1: I absolutely understand what you're saying, but I want to come at it from a different angle. So you just brought up four great examples of guys who are very well-spoken, um, in the media, right? I mean, obviously we see Tony Dungy on TV all the time. Sometimes he offers a, a little pull behind the curtain. Sometimes he offers inspiration, but he's good at what he does. I think is he with NBC, Brent, or what is uh, he's it? an NBC guy. NBC yeah. guy, yeah, yeah. And then obviously with, with Chuck Pagano, um, you know, he's eloquent, well spoken, not so much. I mean, not so much like he, I think he wanted to be. I think the fact that he was kind of cast in that role after all that he's been through, right? Like people wanted to talk to him, people wanted to hear his story, and he shared it. So like that's how we know Chuck. Pagano. Now, now Frank Reich is a little different to me, just because I don't know um, a lot about him. I haven't seen a lot of interviews with him, so I'm kind of just you know putting him in the group. And then obviously with Caldwell, I mean we know what he's about as well. A pretty well spoken individual. The point that I'm trying to make is is that. I think that there's a lot of great spoken individuals out there. I think they're a little more rare in terms of the NFL. Now, when I say well-spoken and, and eloquent, there's two types of of, uh, of categories here, right? There's when you cross the white lines on a football field, and then there's when you come off that football field and you get in front of a podium uh, and it's your demeanor, if you will, right? And the point that I'm trying to make here is that when you cross those white lines, those, it seems like, well-mannered individuals, those well-spoken, eloquent, seems-like, kind of guys, when when they cross the white lines, they have a job to do. And that job sometimes entails yelling at people, maybe chewing somebody out. Like, I, I never really met a coach. Maybe Tony Dungy's an exception. Yeah. But, like, but, but, like, even Andy Reid would be, he comes across, obviously, as a, as a salt to kind of guy, right? A laid-back guy. But I've seen Andy relaying to people before, right? Like, worse than I've ever seen other coaches do it. So I think it's the fact that every coach, when he's on the field, He's going to get the most out of his players. And if that includes chewing you out, then so be it. He's going to chew you out. Now, some might use different kind of verbiage, let's just say. And if you've been to a Jaguars training camp, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But at the end of the day, it's the ones that are eloquent in the press conferences that come across as the good dudes that we put on a higher pedestal and say, oh, I'm sure they're a great guy on the field as well. And I'm here to tell you, they might be a great guy, but don't get it twisted. They're still yelling. They're still, they're, they're still chewing people out.
0: Yeah, I, and I agree with that too. I, I think one of the misnomers around here is like, I, I, I laugh at it because it's like Gus Bradley was such a nice guy that he never held anybody accountable. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the funny narrative yeah. where like I've heard like stories of Gus Bradley laying into people I'm and finding the heck out of people. Like, so how much money they find people in a year. And now, it might not be on a Coughlin level, yeah. but it was significant. And so, it's just like, you're right about that persona. It's like, nice guy, so he must be always nice. No, I think Frank Wright could be a bulldog when he needs to be a bulldog. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not it. I just feel like, though, it's interesting, Austin, that in Indianapolis, and maybe there's more examples of this, but I think Indianapolis, Indianapolis, over four different hires now. Has had a guy that, from a perception standpoint, again, I don't know these people, yeah. but I would say if you ask 10 people on the street, nine of them would say, damn good man, damn good man. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's important, but it seems like it's important to Ursay in the hiring process.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so listen, man, that just reminded me of a really great Gus Bradley story that kind of pertains to what we're talking about right now. And I don't think I'm really like, you know, peeling back the curtain too much where I shouldn't be saying this, but it, it, it's a great story and it's a great example. Brent, from the outside looking in, you said Gus Bradley. Like like we said, salt-of-the-earth guy we would give you the shirt off his back. Um, You know, just an all-around great dude. You definitely want to have a beer with him.
0: Would you agree to all those things? No doubt.
1: Without a doubt. And I remember the first time that I met Gus Bradley, that he came to talk to our team, and he gave this eloquent speech, man. Like, I was fired up. I was ready to run through a wall. i like, this is the guy. Like, we're going to be something special. Now, I was cut a couple weeks later, but that's either neither here nor there. But with that being said, like, I had the preconceived, notion of Gus Bradley, even after one meeting, seeing his energy, the way that he talked to us, I'm going to be like, this is going to be like Kind of like a, like a kumbaya thing. Like, we could be doing trust falls. Like, who knows what's going to happen? But like, <laughs> this is a good thing. You know, coming from, coming from Mike Malarkey and Jack Del Rio, who are a little more old school, I'm like, this might be a little cushy. This is going to be good stuff. All right. So let's go ahead and fast forward a week later, right? Cause that was during like, kind of like the OTA. That was kind of like during like the, the preseason part. Not everyone's at the stadium quite yet. So now we're starting the OTAs. Um, we're starting to ramp things up a little bit. Their very first day of like that practice, our very first meeting, we're all geared ready to go. Gus Bradley comes in and the first thing he does, and I can't remember for the life of me who the guy was, right? He he might have been a practice squad guy, whoever the guy was. He goes, Hey man, I was reading your story. You got to stand up in front of this team and you got to tell them your story. I'm like, All right, so the, the guy stands up, you know, and he, he's a first-year guy, rookie, a little nervous, and he starts to go on about his story, about how when he was growing up, you know, he's in a rough part of the neighborhood and things like that. Um, Dad wasn't there, you know, had a house of, like, six or seven people in like, one apartment. It's just, you know, his inspirational story. So this guy, so this player, this rookie, is spilling his soul to the entire team, and as he's talking, Gus Bradley stands up and goes, Ah! Nobody cares about your sob story. Sit down. We got games to win. And like he said that, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Like, who is this the, guy? Yeah, the, 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 this dude's burying his soul. Now, all of a sudden, what? What? We're not doing kumbaya. We're not doing trust balls anymore. And then it dawned on me, like, listen, you can be a great guy, and and, and you can have fun, and you can have the, all this energy, but at the end of the day, we all have jobs to do. And I thought it was an interesting strategy by Gus Bradley because he kept reiterating this, and it might have been one of the themes of the entire season, is that nobody cares about your sob story. Nobody cares exactly how you feel right now if you're not playing a lot, like, earn your playing time. Nobody cares about where you came from. Guess what? We're all in the same spot right now, so let's focus on today. And it, it was it was an interesting way to get that point across, but it's an example of, listen, I thought I knew who this coach was, and all of a sudden he stands up while this kid's bearing a soul and goes, no one wants to hear your sob story, I was like, okay,
0: game on, let's go. Yeah, that's a great story. I'd never heard that. And and if you had put five coaches on a wall and say, attach this story to that coach, Gus Bradley would be the last one. You, you never would
1: imagine it, would right? would be the last one. It's insane. And,
0: and so, you know, I've always been interested. I thought the great dynamic here, and I've, I've said this to him many times, um, and, and I don't even know if I eloquently say it the right way, but it stands out to me, is Tom Coughlin is a very good man. Very good man. Absolutely, Uh, good heart. Obviously, what he's done with the J Fund, but beyond that, I think a good, good man. But he is a you know what. Yeah. When he's in that building, Mm -hmm. he's a you know what when he's demanding excellence, when he's on that field, all that stuff, and that's the guy that we think we know. Right. Yeah. That guy with the scowl on his face and we're going to win lunch and get here and OTAs. I don't care if they're (laughs) or not. But that's the guy that we all associate with Tom Coughlin. So but now that we know him a little bit more in the community, all that stuff. Yeah, that might be that guy, but he's also this guy. Mm hmm. And so it's a it's a fascinating look. And so when I came across it, I'm looking at all who has hired who most recently. Look in the division. Look at all this stuff. And it was just striking to me when somebody, because Jim Caldwell I was doing some work on him, and then also Tony Dungy's name came up, and I was like, wow, wait a minute, that's Indy, that's Indy. And I and I remember uh, Pagano, and 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 I think things change. I don't know if. Things were different in terms of the way we perceive Pagano because of the cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just don't know. But I believe he's always been viewed as a a really good dude. And Frank Reich is that, by the way. I mean, Frank Reich is supposedly that guy. Like, there's a reason why, like, Nick Foles' favorite guy is Frank Reich, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, just good, good man. And so I'm probably over-dramatizing this. I just found it interesting. And I'm not saying we've had bad men. Here in Jacksonville, I'm not even implying that. I'm not trying to slander anybody. What I'm, what's interesting is, let's just say, let's look at the pool of candidates the Jaguars could go to. You could go to Marvin Lewis or Jim Caldwell, or um, we don't really know Smith and Dable, but Sala, who I think is a good foundational guy, even mm-hmm. though he can be intense. And those are what we would qualify or, or quantify as those are good men. Sure. Then we're gonna now talk about and what we have talked about is a guy like urban meyer and we're going to say oh, that guy's a son of a <laughs> you know what i mean yeah no without and, a doubt and, and so that's isn't that interesting and i don't know what that heck it means it's the way we look at bill belichick right until we saw him in that nfl network special when he's on his boat just hanging out it's it's what we think about nick saban until saban that we see Saban, the guy like in a meeting, today, it was like, the only thing I remember from that game the other day is Saban at halftime, and he's like, this thing doesn't work. Yeah, mic yeah, like, yeah, Doesn't yeah. work, you know. Yeah. Well, well, we also have seen Sabin like on an ESPN set where he's not playing, and he's got a ton of personality.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, know? you know, you know what, Brent? I think if we were to put a whole ball on this conversation, we can ask ourselves like, what did we learn from you know the story of Gus Bradley? What did we learn uh, from talking about some of these you know old Colts coaches? It's the fact that listen. You can be a great guy off the field. You can say all the right things in the press conference. Heck, you can even go on Twitter and social media and be super entertaining. But what it comes down to, more importantly than anything, is what type of guy are you? What type of coach are you when you cross the white lines? You you give me the right guy that can cross the white lines and get the most out of his players, and I'll take everything else that comes
0: with him. Yeah, uh, the search uh, continues. What uh, kind of man, what kind of coach will they get in Jacksonville? And here's the answer. A winning one. That's hey, what's needed.
1: Hey, all I'm going to say is the next time you talk to Gus Bradley, you tell him that nobody cares about a sob story.
0: <laughs> I will. Right, By the way, man. Gus uh, seems to be a favorite with uh, John Gruden and and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders yeah, yeah. as a defensive coordinator. The guy's a good defensive coordinator. Obviously, didn't work out as the head coach. I don't know if he'll get another opportunity down the line. Uh, but he, he, I'll tell you what. People scoop him up in a hurry. Yes. when his name's available as a defensive coordinator. Well, and we'll I'll tell back. you what. I'm going
1: to start using that with my son a little more, too. My son gets <laughs> upset. No one cares about your sob
0: story. Pick I up like your
1: it. toys and let's go to bed. I let's, go. let's I love it. Yeah, I love let's get it.
0: it. All right, we'll be back at Action Sports Jax on ESPN 6.9. nine. <laughs> Austin Lane. And I'm going to
1: regurgitate it to you. I'm like a mother bird right now, and I'm spewing it in your mouth. Brent
0: Martineau. you got doves <laughs> flying and mother I'm, birds all week. I'm, I mean. tra- <laughs> I'm trying to baby bird you right now, man. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, this is why I tease stuff and don't get to it. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. There's a number of sacrifices that been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members and the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. So, um, that is Joe Judge, New York Giants head coach. I don't think we talked about this a lot yesterday. We talked about it briefly. But this is still a story some days later now. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. See, I think the NFL is made up of a lot of manufactured things at times. <laughs> I don't. I think you got to be really careful throwing around the word genuine. Mm-hmm. These guys are smart. You know, uh, it, not that much different at times than a wrestler given his mic skills. Let's just say that. <laughs> and, like, is Joe Judge. For the New York Giants, saying what he said, because his words, if you listen to everything, he said the buy-in that these people had to make, these these players yeah. this year yeah. with their families and with COVID and everything else, it's a, it's a disservice to them to not go out and try to win every game, every time for 60 minutes. And I can't argue with that. I mean, I think he's absolutely right. But is he saying this because, well, he missed out on the playoffs because of that? Is he saying this because it's a rival Philadelphia Eagles, and he's going to turn that knife as much as possible? Because Peterson's feeling it right now. Is he? Is he saying this to? I think somebody said. I think it was Rich Eisen said. He basically said it's a message maybe to the to Eagles players who want to come, who might be free agents at some point, or you know, to come play with us and, and the New York Giants. Yeah. Is it a message like, hey, this is the way our organization works? You know, so. I don't know how to consume what Joe Judge said. I think the bigger story here is, because we can debate, it. have other people done this before? Was it really worth, like, tanking the second half for three draft spots? Like, I don't know. Uh Was was this – is Peterson going to write a book someday that said, you know what, the stories of Alex Smith and Ron Rivera were so good, I wanted them to win the NFC East, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like – I don't know. I mean, give me any conspiracy theory. What I do think, though, is the most interesting part of this conversation is Eagles players and Doug Peterson. So much so that in that town, Austin, I would not be stunned. And I'm not necessarily predicting this, but I'm just saying I wouldn't be stunned that although Peterson is back and has been given that, I think the the reports were a vote of confidence even before that game, to come back that if this stuff gets so toxic with players internally that the eagles make a move sometime in the next couple of weeks on peterson
1: yeah so listen first of all with judge's comments this is classic gamesmanship coming from joe judge right now because you could say that the eagles screwed the giants over by letting the giants go to the play by not letting the giants go to the playoffs right cuz you tanked essentially now, I don't care about that. You know how I feel about it. If you win six games in a season, you don't deserve to go to the playoffs. If you win six games and you're hoping that you're at the mercy of somebody else to help you out to get you in the playoffs, nah, not in my opinion, I don't care. But with that being said, and we talked about this yesterday a little bit, and I alluded to this point, and we're on the same page right now, that locker room, there is going to be problems, Right? Because the last thing that an NFL player wants to feel like is a, a pawn. Okay, They're, they're grown-ass men who have egos, who have pride. And keep this in mind. The importance of winning has been ingrained in them since they were in Pop Warner. Winning over everything. And then you're Doug Peterson, and you come out there and say, Hey, Jalen Hurts, go ahead and grab some bench. Let's put Sudfeld in. And let's go out there and do that, right? Like, this is only just beginning. This is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. We talked about Jason Kelsey yesterday, said the importance of winning over tanking for that draft pick, the importance of culture and all that stuff. I'm here to tell you right now, and I know Miles Sanders had some comments today. I guarantee there'll be more coming. But this thing is going to fester, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I honestly don't know if Doug Peterson is going to be able to overcome what he's about to face in that locker room.
0: Yeah, and I think if if you're Philly, because things get messy in hurry in Philly now, and they're already a mess. They don't know what the heck's going on with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. They've, they're on the books for Carson Wentz. Is anybody going to take him if you trade him? Um, are you going to play him? And now this, which is even bigger because if you don't have the confidence of your coach or you're ticked off of your coach. And I said it yesterday, we talked about this, like a guy like Malik Jackson, if, and I don't know how he feels about this current situation, but I know Malik Jackson's personality. I've been around Malik Jackson enough where if he does take offense to that, like he's not going to be afraid to share it, mm-hmm. you know, and I, there's probably a lot of guys in Philly like that. So, uh, and, and by the way, when, when Philly went to Hurts, it wasn't, 100% received in the locker room. Well, a lot of Carson Wentz fans and believers in that locker room that even went to hurts. So and and then of course Wentz wasn't even dressed uh, in in this game to play Sudfeld. So the whole thing is, I just say Philly better make a move sooner or later because they're going to get way behind in this kind of cycle. Uh, if <sighs> if if they don't do something, they got to figure it out and they got to figure it out fast. But I just would not be surprised like. This reminds me of, and, and without all the circumstance, but you remember just a few weeks ago, Tom Herman was safe at Texas, and then last week he's gone. And just because you've been said, it's been said that you're safe doesn't mean you're gonna be there, and uh, this could get too messy for Doug Peterson in Philly.
1: Yeah, I just don't understand if you're Doug Peterson, how do you come back from this? Because how do you look every one of your players in the eye, um You know, during a new season when everybody comes back, you know, that first practice of OTAs or whatever and said, hey, guys, we got a great team. We're going to win. Like, how do you even put winning in a category anymore when you had guys, you know, this year for the last game of the season who have sacrificed their bodies, their health, um, their, their social lives, their family lives in order to play the game of football and try to win and, you know, obviously get the support of the city. How do you look those guys in the eyes after that and just say, hey, guys, it's a new season, let's go? Like, I, I, I don't know, man. I, honestly, I don't know how to come back from it, and it's crazy because you're a couple years removed from a Super Bowl, right? Like, there was a point a couple years ago where you were the talk of the town, where, like, nobody could touch you, right? Where you're writing books, talking smack uh, about Doug Marone, do whatever you want to do. Like, everybody thought you are the future. And now the next a couple years later – it's not we're not talking about how bad the team was this year with injuries and stuff like that. We're talking about one decision that you made in the last game of the season. Let's let's be honest, for the Eagles didn't even matter. Not good.
0: I got something we haven't talked about a lot, and now that the Jags are in a coaching hire and six other teams are for a head coach and seven teams in all for a GM, the Rooney rule is talked about on a daily and almost hourly basis. And the Rooney rule for if folks don't know, uh teams have to Interview a person of color, minority for uh, their vacancies, and, and now it's two for the head co- two interviews for the head coaching positions um, in the process. And the idea is to get more minorities mm-hmm. into coaching and head coaching, and because if you look at the numbers, the numbers are just off. It's a white man's world when it comes to a lot of front office positions, obviously ownership and. Certainly, uh, head coaches. So the Rooney Rule is in place for that, and, and it goes back now some couple of decades. Uh, I believe it's old now. And it's been adjusted, and there was talk this year that would even adjust more and reward teams for hiring a minority coach. I guess the simple question is this, because the Jags are in the middle of this. There's all this Urban Meyer talk, first of all, and so that's even brought up. People saying, "Well, don't they have to abide by the Rooney Rule?" And are these just, if they really do want Urban Meyer, uh, are they even interested in guys that they're mm-hmm. interviewing, like Eric Bieniemy? And and because he's a black man, are they just interviewing him because of that? Uh, goes to the GM searches as well. I. It's an interesting topic to navigate. I guess simply, Austin, I've never really had your take on this because on the show here in Jacksonville, they haven't been hiring mm-hmm. until now. But is it working? Do they need to do more to get minority coaches in the game in the NFL?
1: Yeah, I mean, essentially, to paraphrase, you're asking me, how do I feel about the Rooney rule?
0: You know, it's
1: to me, Brent, it's like a double edged sword, it's like a catch 22. Because a part of me wants to say, well, I like it because, listen, this gives black coaches a chance, right? Like, this this gives more minority coaches a chance to succeed in the NFL, right? It, it almost, it kind of evens the playing field a little bit. So that's one side of me. And then the other side wants to go, well, what the hell are we talking about? We're, we're talking about the game of football where it's supposed to be about wins and losses over everything else, and we're talking about coaches out there of any ethnicity that are probably more qualified than some of the white coaches right now. So, like, how are how we even in 2020, right, 2021, excuse me, and we're talking about this rule still? Like, it, it shouldn't be, we shouldn't even be having this discussion. It should be the best possible candidate should get the job, right? And I think there's a lot of black coaches out there that are some best possible candidates, but that's not where we're at right now. Like, we, we've progressed a long way That's a society, and I get it. We're making progress, yada, yada, yada. But, like, when this Rooney rule comes into place, I feel like the progress isn't justified quite yet. Now, once again, I go back to the other side. It's all we got right now, okay? And, and it's going to give more coaches an opportunity that are minorities, and so be it. Like, if this is the best we honestly can do right now in 2021, then it is what it is. Is it perfect? Not even close. But it's really all we got right now.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's interesting to be here in Jacksonville because you have a minority owner. Yeah. So, like, to me, while I understand there's criticism sometimes of, are you just doing this because you're just hire- you're just checking a box, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the process? And while I do think that probably unfortunately has been the case in the past, I just, as it equates to Jacksonville, I have a hard time believing that's the case with a minority owner. You know? Well, yeah, um, so, no, without I, a doubt, but- I, I, I just, I would, I really have, I, I think the Jags organization should be immune to that kind of conversation, basically because you have a minority owner. But I also think, like, Sean Khan even said it yesterday. He, he's aware of it, He, he wants to put Minority is in a position to be successful. Mm-hmm. He's a big believer in giving minorities opportunities, uh, and, and that shouldn't have come as a surprise. But he, his task is to get the best person for the job that he thinks is going to win and win big in Jacksonville. That doesn't matter what color you are, what uh, gender you are, whatever. He's got to find the right person.
1: You know? no, no, without a doubt, right? you're absolutely right, and that's the way that it should always be for every single team in the NFL. And you know, you alluded to this as well. Where, and I want to make sure I'm correct when I say this, but if a team was to hire a minority coach in some capacity, then they could get rewarded, right? Like, is it compensation and draft, or how does that work? Yeah,
0: it was. I forget the exact criteria, but it was something to do with draft picks and maybe an added like, uh, uh, what are they, compensatory picks? See, and,
1: and to me, like I understand. Once again, you're trying to get the incentive a little more, but that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, because now we're saying, hey, man. If you take a black coach over here, there's something in it for you. That, that, that's not how we should be thinking about it. Like, I don't mind the Rooney rule right now because it's literally all you have and it's better than nothing. But then don't, like, have the compensation where it's like, well, if you take this guy, we'll make it worth your while. That's that's not how I think our society should be working.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and listen, I, I think the key to having more minority head coaches is to have more minority assistant coaches yes and the root of the problem because that's where you get your training ground white black it doesn't matter that's where the training ground comes in and that's where you get your experience to become a next head coach and take a next step but i think the problem is really more about what you've said in the past austin it's this is sometimes a friend's business yeah right yep, absolutely. and even now if you read stuff if you read stuff now on who's going to be the GM and the head coach, and not just in Jacksonville, but other places. Like, well, he worked with him here. He went to college with him here. He played with him here. Well, it's like, I understand familiarity, but let's get the best guys for the job. And this is one of the, the
1: things that I cannot stand about the National Football League, because the most important thing is supposed to be about wins and losses. But the greatest contradiction is is that sometimes friendships and staying in your comfort zone trump the wins and losses it makes no sense to me
0: yeah uh and it's it it's not fixed that's for sure uh and we could get two minorities into the head coaching ranks in this cycle with uh at least at least by the way but two hot names robert Sala and uh, eric b of course and it will be a damn shame if eric Bieniemy doesn't get a head coaching job with six available mm-hmm. no doubt so uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, more to come. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. And I do have a, a question that's very important, at least in my house, that I need answered. It's on the way. It
1: was a very painful moment. in there, hugging both of them. And uh, just telling them how much I love them, how much I appreciate them. And both those guys just laid it on the line tonight. I mean, they absolutely laid it on the line. Not just tonight, but, you know, their whole careers. And it's just been an unbelievable journey. I'm just so thankful that I got a chance to coach those guys and be a part of their journey. You know, both of them have such bright futures and and a lot of football ahead. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is, is, he's a generational guy. He's going to be a great player for a long, long time. And so is Travis Etienne. And and just to know that, you know, the good Lord blessed me to, to be a part of their journey. I'm just thankful for that.
0: That is Davos Swinney, Clemson head coach. You know, there really hasn't been a lot of Clemson guys in the Jags locker room. Yeah. Olivia Tassley did this and cause I, we were asking that question and so she went back and looked and I think Andre Branch. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. W- Windmill. Windmill. <laughs> yes. Windmill. And, uh, uh, who else did she just say? Oh, Tyler Shatley.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Currently there. Sure. Uh, And there also hasn't been a lot of 16s in Jags history. The most famous one, probably the offensive weapon, Denard Robinson.
1: Ah, Mr. Jack of all trades. You know, it's an interesting sound bite there from Dabble. You know, he's you know sharing his support and everything and wishing his players the best luck, um, you know, on their next journey here. When he said that he hugged, you know, them, do you think he hugged the defenders at all or just kind of left them to their own devices? (laughs) Probably just... Left them alone, devices, right? Just kind of uh, to, like, "Yeah, I'll see you guys next year." <laughs> we got some uh, work to do.
0: Yeah, we got some work to do. I, I will. Here is what's crossed my mind, and I hope we get the chance at some point to interview Dabo Swinney about Trevor Lawrence. And I, I'm I already put the request in, folks. But let's we'll go. Um, and I don't know if that will come, or, or somebody maybe will ask this question. Probably, maybe they've already asked this question. I just haven't heard the answer. But my question about Dabo is, he was right on and so adamant. About Deshaun Watson. And Watson had a lot of these holes in his games as he's coming out. And they're like, eh, I don't know. I'll be honest. I wasn't a huge Watson. I was like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I watched him play in the national title game. It was sensational, but I don't know. And well, uh, he was right about Deshaun Watson, yeah. right? He mm-hmm. knew that kid. He knew what he was all about. And he knows this guy too. And so I'm interested, he just said generational guy. I don't think he said that about Watson. So I'm interested to see what he says about Watson in relation to Trevor Lawrence. Because here's a lesson we might have learned. We might want to believe Davo. <laughs>
1: no, with, without a doubt. And that's going to be, I mean, hopefully we can get that interview. But it would be interesting to ask him, like, hey, so like, take us through your thoughts about Watson when he was first coming up. And, and how you knew, and how did those thoughts compare uh, to Trevor Lawrence, you know?
0: Hey, I have a selfish question i uh, been playing a lot of Ms. Pac Man. A lot. Like, like, a lot. Okay. And so I'm a boards guy. Like, I go try to get the next board, the next board, the next board in advance. And I'm like, 13 boards is my record right now. Yeah, yeah. So I've made it to their fourth maze mm. and, like, four of them in. Mm-hmm. But then the kids are like, no, I'm playing for points. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I kick the snot out of the kids. I like that. But, so I'm like, all right, fine, I'll play for points. Well, now. I'm up to like 75,000. Yep. And so I don't know, like, do you play for points or for boards? Because I was always like a boards guy.
1: It's it's a great question, and I love the way you're talking video games right now to me. Brent, it's good to have you on Team Video Games. It's simple, Brent. And this may not apply to your household, but if you're playing Miss Pac-Man in a pizzeria or in an arcade... The more points you get, what happens? The higher your name is on the end of the game in terms of the rankings. That's a good point. And at the end of the day, the rankings are all that matters because you have the bragging rights. So I'm team points. All day, every day.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. Did did you have
1: that? Do you have the ability to put your name in and say what you want in the standings? No. And I wish you could pause (laughs) that game. You
0: can't pause it. I want to pause it. (laughs) There's no pausing arcade games. Hey, Live Local Loud coming up next on ESPN 690. Trevor Lawrence and the Heisman Trophy on ESPN 690 (laughs) in just a bit. Have a good night.